So good morning, Maple Grove. Um, you never know. So I didn't talk with Leela about the songs, but the last song where God is fighting our battles, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because right now, we're in a battle. Um, and I printed out everything, so I stay on script, but I'm off script right now. So Pastor Steve gave me the okay to wing it if I need to. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name's Tom Zacklars. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm humbled to be your guest speaker today. So Pastor Steve and his family just returned from a long overdue vacation. We keep pushing them, take a break, take a break, take a break. And finally, after he's completely exhausted, he takes a break. Um, so you're not allowed to change a channel if you're watching at home. You're not allowed to get up and leave unless it's a restroom break. Uh, but you can't ask me how uh, I, w I was chosen to be up here today. So typically, when a pastor is not going to be preaching, he will check with people outside the church. Uh, because when the guest speaker comes in, the congregation will look at that individual as, as kind of an expert and listen to him. If they, if they do great, fantastic, great selection, Pastor Steve, if they mess up, that's okay because it just makes Pastor Steve look even better when he comes back. And so I stole that from him this morning because that's what he said. He said he wasn't nervous at all because regardless, he was going to look good. either. <laughs> so he first checked with Bob Russell, who uh, is the retired pastor from Southeast Christian Church, in Louisville, Kentucky, when he retired about a dozen years ago, they were up pushing close to 20,000, I think. And um, so, so Steve knows Bob, and he checked with Bob, and Bob said, you know, Steve, I'd normally do anything for you, but I'm already committed. I can't do it. So then Steve, being the number one New England Patriots fan, called Bill Belichick. <laughs> Bill said, Steve, normally I'd do anything for you, but NFL season's wrapping up. I just can't do it. So Pastor Steve kept checking with people all over the area, locally and everything else. And finally, Steve Bailey said, why don't you just find somebody locally from Baltimore who's available, and um, they probably can't mess up too much. So he checked with everybody he knew from Baltimore locally. After he ran through the list, Steve Bailey said, well, you know, Tom's from Baltimore too. And he's available today. And the rest is history. So that helps calm me down. Um, so, but really, though, Pastor Steve entrusted me uh, with continuing the series that, that he was in. Such things were written. And he gave me the thumbs up to share encouragement and hope through the life of Gideon. So let us pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather today to hear what you want us to learn from the life of Gideon. Let me fade and let your spirit move through the scripture we, re we will read and the encouragement you want us to know and share. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So Romans 15, 4, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. So this verse in the New Testament is our jumping point in the series back to Israel's struggles and God's hand that we can use today. 
pretty exciting thought from the living Word of God that what was written thousands of years ago, we can use today. Okay, so when you hear the name Gideon, who do you think of? Now, if any one of you watched the VeggieTale videos, you're picturing someone like this. That is the correct person from the Bible. But Gideon was not a cucumber, I, th I think, I think. Now, some of you may think that Gideon is related to the people that put Gideon Bibles in hotels. That is not the same Gideon, but they do great work out in God's harvest fields, and many people have credited that Bible in the hotels that has led them to someone to share the gospel with them. So they do fantastic work there. But the Gideon we're going to visit today comes from the book of Judges, where Pastor Steve has already touched on in this series. So let's do a quick review of who the judges were and their time frame in Israel, Israel's history. So there were 14 judges who were known as God's deliverers. If you want to get technical, there were 12 if you exclude Eli and Samuel. And if I'm wrong, somebody will correct me afterwards or on Facebook. So they appeared in Israel's history from the time after Joshua and before King Saul, which is generally 1350 B.C. to 1050 B.C. This 300-year span was well-named in Judges 17.6. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. It was a cycle, you've seen this before a couple weeks ago, that repeated itself four times before Gideon, where the people repeatedly turned to false gods. Israel disobeys, turns away from God. Israel's oppressed. Israel cries out. God raises up a deliverer. Israel is delivered from the consequences of their sin. Israel is at peace, rinse and repeat. So before we start, let me ask a few questions and think about it in today's world. Have you ever felt overwhelmed with what, got, with what was going on in the world around you? Have you ever felt oppressed by forces outside of your control? Have you ever seen real fear in the people around you? Have you yourself ever felt unsure about what today and tomorrow will bring? If you have ever felt or seen any of these things, have depression or anxiety or fear crept into your life and into your mind? If you answer no, then you've probably been asleep the last five months. So we're walking through a time right now where we might be able to relate a little bit to Gideon. So this morning we're going to look at Gideon, how God used him, and how we can be used as a Gideon during this season that we're in right now. So this is a map of Israel during the, the time of Judges. And Gideon lived in an area um, Ophrah, uh, called Ophrah, and they're not sure where it is, but they think it's somewhere southwest of the, the Sea of Galilee and west of the Jordan in Manasseh, and that's the tribe that he belonged to. So Gideon was the littlest guy in, the, in his family from the weakest clan in what was considered one of the insignificant tribes of Israel 
named Manasseh. And before Gideon is called by God, Israel's been oppressed in this cycle that we just saw for seven years. We're going to be in chapter 6 and 7 of Judges this morning, if you want to read along in you version or you've got your Bible with you. So we're going to start Judges chapter 6, starting with verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. So we read right here that God sent in a legion of armies to rescue Israel, right? No. God sent them a prophet. There was something different in this cycle as we will soon find out. So when I uh, told Pastor Steve I was going to talk about Gideon, this was four weeks ago. And so this is my first time up speaking in in front of you um, in a semi-professional, unpaid fashion. Um, So I got commentaries. I read Judges 6, 7, and 8 over and over again and let it sit in. And one uh, one of the books I got, it's a study book by Timothy Keller, It's called Judges, the Flawed and the Flawless. And so Mr. Keller helps to clear this up as to why God just doesn't immediately raise up a judge deliverer. Yes, the Israelites cried out to God for help, but, and anytime I say but, it means everything I said before, ignore. So yes, the Israelites cried out to God for help, but God knew why it was different this time around. You see, Israel was crying out because of regret, not because of repentance. They did not like being overwhelmed and oppressed by all these foreign invaders. But they were not sorry for disobeying God. They were upset about what their sin had caused rather than the sin itself. So let's run this idea forward into the year 2020. Let's ask ourselves what we see around us in society. Let's ponder for a moment on what we may sometimes do ourselves. What happens when we're caught in sin or we see someone else caught in sin? So in today's culture, is the first response regret that the sin has been exposed? I think we see that too often. Or is the first response sorrow? that we have sinned, and we know we've sinned against God. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of experiencing regret first with a long delay on the arrival of the sorrow piece. There is a big difference between the two, and as we jump back into Judges, 
will see that God wants them to understand where the sin has led them. So we're going to continue in verses 7 to 10. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the, hand, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Oops. Israel was just crying out to the Lord to fix everything, but God is saying, just hold on a minute. How did y'all get into this mess, as they say in the rural areas? God knew that until Israel understood why they were where they were, then delivering them from their oppressors was not going to affect any change in what they were doing. After the prophet's message, Israel may have understood a little bit better why they were in the mess they were in. This meant God could now raise up a powerful, fearless, full of faith warrior by the name of Gideon. Verse 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. And you know, it's tough to pronounce these names, so Pastor Steve probably spends a day, a week, getting the pronunciations right. So if I get them wrong, blame him. He asked me to come up here. So the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So here we get our first glimpse of Gideon. It looks like he's a strong warrior sharpening his sword and waiting for the day when he can battle the Midianites, right? No. Gideon's hiding in a cramped wine press, which is usually used to crush grapes. He's struggling through the process of threshing the wheat. There's no room to toss the wheat or breeze to separate the wheat from the chaff. What little wheat he had, he kept it hidden along with hiding himself from the Midianites. This is the warrior that God has called. Gideon must have looked around half-jokingly when he answered in verses 13 to 17. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. 
So we find that not only is Gideon suffering from an inferiority complex, but he's also suffering from a lack of faith. Here is where Gideon asks the first of a handful of signs. He's starting to sound a little like Moses at the burning bush when Moses kept trying to wiggle out of doing what God was directing him to do. This tells us that Gideon is the perfect weak one that God's glory will shine through. So Gideon runs off, prepares an offering of meat and unleavened bread that the angel of the Lord burns up as a sign that Gideon is face to face with the Lord. Now this should have cleared up any confusion and worry about who was on his side. But when the angel of the Lord now tells him to tear down the altar to to Baal that his clan and Ophir has built, and then to replace it with an altar to Israel's God, we see that Gideon is more fearful of his town people than the Lord. Yes, he does as the angel directed him to, but he waits until nighttime to do it. When the townspeople figure out the next morning that it was Gideon that did it, it was Gideon's dad, Joash, that bailed him out. Big bad Gideon was in hiding again. As Pastor Steve would say, question, who are you more fearful of today? Is it the Lord or is it man? Hold on to that answer and we will use it later. God was now ready to use Gideon to deliver his people. We move ahead to verses 33 to 35. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped into the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and he also called into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon had seen the angel of the Lord and also had the spirit of the Lord upon him at this time. So we should expect our mighty warrior to be chomping at the bit to battle these armies that now numbered over 100,000, right? Sheila's saying no. He had displayed bold courage in rallying the troops, and I can just hear him saying under his breath, bring it on, bring it on. Well, Gideon had the courage because the spirit of the Lord was upon him, but he still had to work through his lack of faith. He took a step backwards, and we continue with verses 36 to 40. Gideon said to God, and this is a very familiar story, Uh, You may have heard it in all different contexts. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so, 
Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. Now, a very important thing to remember here, do not confuse Gideon's tests as anything more than growing his faith. We are not to put the Lord our God to the test. Jesus said this when he was tempted by Satan in the desert, and also Moses wrote this down from God as he was receiving the Ten Commandments. Seeking God's will is different from testing God. So the stage is set. Gideon has 32,000 men against the other armies, which total about 135,000. Israel is outnumbered about four to one, but Gideon knew that God was in his corner. God also knew that a four to one underdog was still too good of a ratio and that Israel would keep the glory for itself if they overcame those modest odds. God told Gideon to send home those that did not have the will to fight. 22,000 left. Oops. This changed the odds to 13 to 1, still too low to make sure who received the credit for the victory. So God had Gideon send another 9,700 home, leaving Gideon with 300 warriors to go against 135,000. Question. If you were Gideon at this point, how overconfident would you have felt? Hold on to that answer and we'll use it soon. So we pick up in chapter 7 of Judges, starting in verse 8. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp, with your servant Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived, just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches in, inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets... Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. Now in the changing of the guards, there were hundreds if not thousands of the enemy army going all throughout their own camp. Some going back to bed, the other ones coming on, uh, on to uh, watch. 
It was the start of the middle watch of the night, which is about midnight, and the enemy warriors could not see well enough to know who was around them. Sounds like a perfect plan. So we continue. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So in the darkness of the night, the sound of the trumpets and the light of the torches surrounding the entire enemy encampment, it startled the enemy. With the Midianite and the Amalekites' own soldiers going back and forth from the changing of the guard, this caused confusion and chaos all around. The enemy armies turned on themselves in panic, and over 100,000 were killed without Gideon's 300 raising a sword. What was left of the enemy's army fled. So you would think at this point that Gideon was pretty blown away with what God had accomplished through just 300 men and a wimpy leader in Gideon. Well, he was for a moment, and if this was a fairy tale, then we could end it right here with, and they lived happily ever after. But Gideon was one of the flawed judges, and right after seeing God's unbelievable victory, Gideon fell into the trap of the adoration and the worship that the Israelites were showering upon him. Gideon really messed up the rest of his life and his family's future. So you can read about the decline of Gideon in chapter 8. And as the commentator Paul Harvey used to say, and that's the rest of the story. For us, we'll stop with God's victory and circle back to Romans 15.4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. What are some takeaways from the story of Gideon to give us hope and encouragement today? If you wrote down your answers earlier, you can pull them out. If not, can't help you. Is this another Gideon moment? First, we are oppressed. The Israelites had the Midianites and the Amalekites devastating their lands and their lives. We have COVID, an unseen enemy that has descended like locusts on our economies, our jobs, our families, our world. We have Satan as the other unseen enemy looking to divide our churches and our lives. We can feel outnumbered like the 300 versus 135 in Gideon's time, and definitely we're not feeling overconfident. Second, we're overwhelmed. The Israelites had to hide in caves and mountain clefts, abandoning their homes. We've been hiding in homes. We've been hiding behind our masks. And we've been pushed six feet apart from each other. We're afraid of the uncertainty in this current season. We've lost jobs. We have lost loved ones that we couldn't gather to mourn 
or to celebrate their life. My family personally knows this very well. There is not a person around us that not, has not seen or faced fear recently. Many of us as well, as, men, as, well as many of the, uh, those around us, have been paralyzed by fear. We see it when we're out shopping. We see it in family members. We see it all around us. And we feel like we have nowhere to turn. The rules keep changing. One step forward, two steps back. Third, we're crying out. Israel was crying out for relief, and only later were they crying out for repentance. We are crying out for normalcy and answers, but to whom are we crying out? Are we crying out to the government, or are we crying out to our Lord? Fourth, we are having trouble seeing our usefulness during this season. Think about it. Think about how useless we have felt at times. Gideon saw himself as a weak man from a weak family in one of the least significant tribes. He did not see himself as a person that God could use. Many of us do not see where we can make a difference for God today in the circle of people we have around us. A blanket of helplessness is heavy upon many of us. So what might God be telling us right now? Well, from Gideon, we saw God's encouragement and empowerment, which can also manifest itself in us individually today, if we ask. Israel's hope and future, it was restored from severe oppression. Yes, God is still in the restoration business in 2020. Some final thoughts from the New Testament to add on to such things that were written. 2 Timothy 1.7 encourages us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Maple Grove, fear has overtaken our communities. Let us cry out to the Lord that we can recognize those reacting in fear around us and that we can bring a spirit of love and hope to them. Yes, you can do this from wherever you are. God is listening and waiting to encourage us. Luke ten twelve directs us, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Many of us are looking for hope from scientists, the medical field, the government, and other temporary places in the world. As Christians, we know where true hope resides. Let us cry out to the Lord that we can recognize those searching for hope in all the wrong places and that we can gently work in God's harvest field and share the hope that we have in Jesus. If we ask, God will show us the harvest that he is allowing us the opportunity to work with and those that we can reach physically and virtually. John 16.33 encourages us, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world.
many of us underestimate the power of the Spirit within us. The victory took place on the cross and the empty tomb. We are God's ambassadors here and now. We are God's warriors here and now. We can be a Gideon for God to work through here and now. God will equip us to fill the gap with hope during this season. He will do this if we ask and then if we listen. And in closing, and that's kind of a note to the praise team, Hebrews 3.13 to 15 directs us, but encourage one another daily as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let us pray. Father, thank you for showing us the flawed and the weak people that you have worked through in history. Father, many of us feel weak and flawed right now and have trouble seeing beyond the fog that we are in during this season. Father, we cry out to you to lift the fog, but more importantly, we cry out that you equip us to be your Gideons in a world that does not know where true hope lies, which is in your Son. We open our hands, we open our hearts for you to work through, and it is in Jesus' name that we ask all this, our Lord and Savior. Amen.